What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Primetime Sports Podcast, hosted by Joey Miller. So in this episode, I'm going to give a recap of what happened in week one of the college football season. I'll give a breakdown of about 15 to 18 games, and then I'm going to give a preview of some week two matchups to keep your eye on. With some of those teams that I'm going to mention, how they played in week one, I'm going to preview some of the games for week two. So let's start off with Boston College. A big loss to start the season to Northern Illinois. Very disappointing game for BC, losing that game 27-24 to in overtime last weekend. Emmett Moorhead was the starting quarterback for BC, but he was taken out after just a couple series. So backup quarterback Thomas Castellanos. Moorhead still did return to the game and came in in the second half, but he did end up getting benched, though, in the first half at one point. Castellanos comes in. The offense did struggle to hit receivers all day. There were open receivers on a good amount of routes. I watched a lot of the film afterwards since I did have to leave the game early, unfortunately, for a draft. And both quarterbacks, Moorhead and Castellanos, struggled to hit open receivers. You can't win many games when you're starting quarterback and your backup quarterback can't make plays and hit open receivers five yards downfield. You have to find them and get them the ball and see what they could do. But both quarterbacks did struggle with accuracy in this game. Moorhead was 4 for 10 for 30 passing yards. Castellanos, who was a transfer quarterback from UCF, was 13 of 28 passing in this game with 138 passing yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. He struggled with accuracy, as I said, as well, missing open receivers just like Moorhead. He was very effective, though, with his legs. Nine carries to 67 yards and a touchdown. Did have a bad play, though. He did throw an interception. He just kind of threw it deep, wanted to see what was there, and it was picked off. Not really the best play there by Castellanos. But even though he did have some misses, he did move the ball better than Moorhead did. So at the end of the day... I think Castellanos probably should be the starter quarterback this week against Holy Cross. Maybe that is an over-exaggeration. Maybe Moorhead still gets a start, and we'll see what happens there. But based on the film from last week, I'd say Castellanos is better than what Moorhead gave BC last week. And it's not just the nubbies. It's also the eye test when you're watching the game. Moorhead was missing guys left and right. Castellanos did as well, but he was effective with his legs and did have a couple passing touchdowns, which is obviously huge, and a rushing touchdown as well. It got BC back in the game. I'm disappointed in the way Moorhead played. I wasn't completely on board with him last year. I know a lot of people were on board with either him or Jakovic. Some people sided with Jakovic. Some people sided with Moorhead. I didn't really see either one being a stud quarterback, but I thought Moorhead might have been the better option. And when you watch Moorhead's film from last week, I mean, he really struggled. I thought he could take a step up this year, and maybe he still can. It's still early in the season. It's only week one, now week two. You can't completely lose hope in a team after one week or an offense in one week. There's still a lot of season left and time to get back on track. And maybe Moorhead can get himself back on track. It's only week one, as I said. But BC should have won that game. With better quarterback play, they win that game. Credit to Northern Illinois, though. They played hard, came in on the road, started out the season with a win, and also picked up $1.1 million in the process. Boston College paid Northern Illinois $1.1 million to come to Chestnut Hill, and they end up winning the game. One good thing for Boston College is that their offensive line did look good. It looked better than last year, which is huge. The offense did struggle, though, passing the ball, as I said. Just 168 passing yards in the game. In a game that went to overtime. Four quarters in overtime, and BC had 170 passing yards on offense. BC's defense looked good for the most part. Gave up just seven points in the first half, but Northern Illinois did score 20 points between the second half and overtime. But I think the offense is more of a worry in my eyes. They need to be better on offense. That's what it comes down to. But as I said, credit to Northern Illinois. They came in on the road after a 3-9 season last year. And found a way to win. After winning the MAC two years ago, they struggled last season with a 3-9 record, and they started off this year with a huge upset win at Alumni Stadium over BC. So credit to them. And Tyrell Brown was dangerous to them out of the backfield. He had 16 carries at 53 yards and a touchdown. 
Also adding in a seven-yard touchdown reception as well on a nice play. It was actually a wildcat play with running back Justin Lynch in the backfield, taking the ball and throwing it to Ontario Brown for a touchdown. Quarterback Rocky Lombardi did have a rushing touchdown for Northern Illinois in this game and 165 passing yards on the day as well. Boston College now faces Holy Cross tomorrow at noon. They need to recover. They need to get a win tomorrow at Alumni Stadium. And it's never going to be easy to win a game when your offense can't move the ball since quarterbacks are missing open receivers, but they have to find a way to put a win together tomorrow because no excuses. You can't lose to Holy Cross tomorrow. Even though Holy Cross is one of the best FCS programs last season, they were undefeated in the regular season, and they're 1-0 on the year, beating Merrimack last week 42-20. to You can't let BC lose this game. BC should dominate this game just based off of speed and talent. But it's hard to use the word dominate when Boston College's offense doesn't have it all together right now. And you're playing a Holy Cross program that's very well coached. Bob Chesney, the head coach for Holy Cross, led them to an undefeated season last year in the regular season. And they made it to the SCS tournament last year, which is very impressive. Quarterback Matthew Sluka had a great season last year. Was actually a finalist for the Walter Payton Award winner last year. Had a great year passing the ball, 2,500 passing yards and 26 touchdowns. Also adding in 1,000 yards on the ground. He's a dangerous guy and a guy to keep your eye on. As for BC, I think they should win this game. I'm going to roll with BC winning this one. I think it'll be close for the most part for most of the game, but I think BC pulls away in the fourth quarter with a big score maybe with five or six minutes to go. I'm going to say BC wins this game 30-20, to 20, but they cannot take Holy Cross lightly. And they're not the same program BC played back then in 2018 when BC beat them 62-14 to 14 in the 2018 season. They're a lot better and they're a lot more respected now than they were back then. And back then, BC had A.J. Dillon at running back, running for 150 yards and three touchdowns. You don't have the same team you had back then. BC's offense is much different now than they were back then in 2018. And you don't have the same quarterback. Anthony Brown was such an underrated quarterback. He got a lot of slack from fans in the media, but I thought he was one of the best quarterbacks that BC's had. And I think the best quarterback BC's had in the last 15 years since Matt Ryan left, I'd say it was Anthony Brown. And that could be a hot take to some people. I'm fine saying that, though. Anthony Brown was a great quarterback for BC. I know the run game was a big part of BC's offense back then. It obviously made it easier on Anthony Brown, but he was a very good quarterback, used his legs well, and put up big numbers for BC when he was the starting quarterback. He was such an underrated player, and as I said, the best quarterback BC's had in the last 15 years was Anthony Brown. And also, during the Anthony Brown tenure, Boston College was ranked at one point, which they never were with Phil Jakovic, never were with Patrick Tolles, never were with Emmett Moorhead, never were with Dennis Grossell. The last time they were ranked was the 2018 season. The highest they got was actually 17 at one point in that year. But since then, 2018, they've never been ranked. And before that 2018 season, 2008 was the last time they were ranked. And if you look at Anthony Brown's numbers as a starting quarterback for BC, in three years as the starter, he played in 28 games with 40 passing touchdowns and 20 interceptions. Also adding in four rushing touchdowns as well in those three years. He was a very good quarterback for BC. Didn't get the credit he deserved. And then he went to Oregon and was very good in the 2021 season with 18 passing touchdowns and seven interceptions, also adding in nine rushing touchdowns as well and 700 yards on the ground. BC never really fully unlocked his potential on the ground. Goes to Oregon in his second year there with that program. Really put up big numbers on the ground running-wise. But Anthony Brown was underrated for BC. And BC obviously doesn't have A.J. Dillon in the backfield. So it's a very different BC team than the last time they played Holy Cross. And Holy Cross is obviously much better now than they were back then. So I think it's going to be a close game. But I think BC should win this game. And I'm expecting a big sack or two from Sheeta Salah. A defensive lineman for BC that I think is going to be a big piece of that Boston College defensive line this year. Has the build and size to absolutely dominate as an edge rusher. 
So now I'm going to move on and talk about the Colorado Buffaloes win over the number 17 team in the country, TCU, last week. Colorado won that game 45-42. to Surprise win for Colorado, who were heavy underdogs in that game. Even though TCU is not the same team that lost in the national championship last year, they lost a lot of talent. They do still have talent on both sides of the ball, even though they don't have really that many returners coming back, especially on offense. But they still have talent, and they were also the home team in this game. And Colorado was a heavy underdog in this match. But they found a way to come out with a win. TCU only returned three starters on offense, and they returned, I believe, seven or eight guys on defense. But the defense wasn't great last year. They ranked 90th in scoring defense last year. So they struggled last year defensively, but their offense was lethal last year. And obviously, they lost Max Duggan, lost Keandre Miller, and lost their best wide receiver, Quinton Johnston. So they lost a lot of talent over the last year on offense. But all in all, it's still an impressive win by Deion Sanders. His first time coaching in the FBS, being the head coach for Colorado, and he gets a win over the team that was the runner-up last year in the FBS, TCU, who lost in the national championship game. And they still have Sonny Dykes as their head coach, and they still have talent on both sides of the ball. So it's an impressive win there for Dion, beating Dykes and beating that TCU team that still has talent even if they lost a lot on offense over the last year. I thought Colorado would win around four games this year and go over their win total, but starting off with a win like that last week is obviously huge. And now everyone will patiently be watching their game This week, and see what they do next week. Colorado is now ranked number 22 in the country after that win. So credit to Deion Sanders. Credit to the program for working the transfer portal and getting production out of every player on their roster. Shadur Sanders, the starting quarterback for Colorado, was great last week. He's the son of Deion Sanders. He had 38 completions and 47 attempts for an 81% completion percentage, 510 passing yards, and four passing touchdowns. He made some big-time throws in that game and really held his own. And then they also have a really unique player, a cornerback slash wide receiver, Travis Hunter, who plays both sides of the ball as a DB and wide receiver. He had 11 catches for 119 yards on offense. And then on defense, he added in three tackles, two pass deflections, and an interception. With a big pass breakup to prevent a touchdown, and that ends up being a big difference in a game when it's only a three-point game, that pass deflection and breakup touchdown ends up being huge. So credit to Travis Hunter. I don't know how he did it playing both sides of the ball and playing both at such an elite level, but he's able to do it. Played 60 snaps on offense, 79 snaps on defense for a total of 139 snaps out of a possible 160 snaps, meaning he played 87% of the game. And he did it at such a high level, being such an elite level player on offense and on defense. As a wide receiver and as a cornerback, he looked great as both, therefore Colorado in their opener. So credit to him. He's basically Shohei Otani of football being able to play both sides of the ball and excel in both. So credit to him. Colorado now plays Nebraska in a big game this week. They are favorites at home in their home opener. Two programs looking to get back on track. Colorado and Nebraska both have had tough years over the past few. They both have new head coaches, though, new regimes now in. Obviously, Deion Sanders at Colorado and then Matt Rule at Nebraska. Nebraska's coming off a 13-10 loss last week to Minnesota. I think Nebraska wins this game. I think it'll be a very close game, but after Colorado won last week, I think they could get a little distracted after starting up 1-0 and and all the pressure being on them and all the eyes in the country being on them. I think they lose this game a very close one. Let's say 27-23 Nebraska. And that's a Nebraska team that's not really that great. They're still rebuilding, but I think Colorado might get a little distracted with all the attention they've got over the last week. But Deion Sanders, credit to him, obviously a great head coach, and he's rebuilding that program, obviously doing it in just one game gets them a big win, gets them back in relevance. So credit to Deion Sanders. So now I'm going to move on and talk about a big upset win 
That being Duke taking down the number nine team in the country, Clemson, 28-7, handing Duke their first win over a top 10 team since 1989. And that was also their first win over Clemson since 2004. Duke was up 13-7 going into the fourth quarter, and then they outscored Clemson 15-0 in the last quarter of the game. Behind two touchdown runs from Jacquez Moore and Jordan Waters for Duke. Two running backs for Duke that had good nights and two big touchdowns to give Duke the win. Winning that game 28-7. Quarterback Riley Leonard didn't even have that great of a night. Didn't have his best night passing the ball at all. And the Duke Blue Devils were still able to win this game. So I think Duke's going to be a very dangerous team. Once Leonard gets everything together passing-wise, they're going to be very dangerous. Leonard finished the game 17-33 of 33 passing for 51% completion percentage and 175 passing. He has no touchdowns, no picks. But he did add in an electric 44-yard touchdown run. A ridiculous run that was a highlight of the night there for Duke. And I saw Duke being an 8-4 and four team. That was my prediction last week, and I really liked Riley Leonard and what I saw out of him last year. I thought he'd take a big step up this year and be a potential Heisman candidate. And he proved last week that even when he has a bad night, that Duke team could still be good and he could still make plays, like that 44-yard touchdown run. He's going to get the passing back on track, and he'll be fine. One thing that was funny was after the game, he said in the post-game interview that he forgot to turn in his homework and didn't get to do it, and he asked his professor, Professor Taylor, if he could turn it in late. And he did it live in the post-game interview. And then Professor Taylor, jokingly, I think at least, said in a response to him, put out a video saying there were other linemen in the class that did the homework before the game and were responsible enough to get it done before the game, unlike the quarterback, Riley Leonard. I think it was a joke, though. I think he'll give him a break, at least I hope, considering how good of a night Riley Leonard had. As for Clemson, now this puts into question, is their dynasty over? I think it's at least in trouble. They only could score seven points, and they dropped from number nine in the country to number 25. And they played Charleston Southern this week, so they should get a big win and probably get themselves back in like the 22 range, 23 range. But their offense didn't look great at all with Cade Klubnick at quarterback. He finished with 209 passing yards and a touchdown and a pick. They relied heavily on running back Will Shipley, who was 17 carries for 114 yards on the ground and also added six catches for 29 yards and a touchdown in the air as well. He was relied on heavily. And one thing that Dabble Sweeney isn't a fan of is the transfer portal. But that's just the way college sports are trending. You have to be able to recruit out of the transfer portal. He has to make an adjustment. And without Trevor Lawrence and Deshaun Watson, this program hasn't been the same powerhouse that they were in years past. It didn't really work with DJ Uyangalele. And I'm not really a big fan of Cade Klubnick. So I'm not really too sure it's going to work with him either at quarterback. Duke now plays Lafayette at home Tomorrow night at 6 o'clock, I think they get a big win there. Lafayette is 1-0, beating Sacred Heart last week 19-14. I think Duke gets a big win in this game. They're now ranked number 21 in the country. I see a big win for them in this game with maybe four touchdowns from Riley Leonard, who I think is going to have a very, very good year for them on offense. Even if he struggled last week, I think he'll get himself back on track this week and have a big game passing the ball. And even though Lafayette isn't a big opponent, you can still throw touchdowns and get some confidence and get yourself back on track, get more chemistry with the receivers, and get a feel for the game a little better, passing the ball. It's obviously different than it was last year. You have different receivers, different offensive line, probably you don't have the same team that you did last year. It takes some time to get chemistry, but I think he'll figure it out this week and throw maybe for three or four touchdowns. So now I'm going to move on and talk about Florida State, who got a big win last week over LSU, winning that game 45-24. to Florida State is a team that I thought would win this game, but I didn't think they would dominate like this in this game. I thought it would be a little bit closer. 
So what a showing for the Seminoles on offense and defense, winning that game by three touchdowns, 45-24. to 24. Jordan Travis was electric at quarterback, 23 for 31 passing for 342 passing yards, four passing touchdowns, an interception, and he also added in seven carries for 38 yards and a touchdown on the ground. What a start to the season for him, a guy that I predicted to win the Davey O'Brien Award for the best quarterback in the country, and what a start to the season. That's definitely in reach, and even though this is just one game, can't really overreact to just one game, as I've said now a few times, that was a great game last week. Threw an interception, but five total touchdowns. With 380 yards on offense against LSU, the number five team in the country, that was very impressive. And obviously that game puts him in the Heisman leaderboard as well. One guy I want to mention was Michigan State transfer wide receiver Keon Coleman, who I mentioned last week in the preview of the game, if I remember right. And he had nine catches in that game last week against LSU for 122 yards and three touchdowns. So what a showing from him. A guy that I liked a lot to ball out this year for the Seminoles, and he was unguardable in the first game last week. As for LSU, they were the number five team in the country before this game. But this loss is tough to start the year. And even though one of these teams, whether it was LSU or Florida State, was going to lose this game, they were still going to be one of the top teams in the country and still have a chance to make the college football playoff. But this loss definitely makes it harder to get there when you're starting off the season with a loss. And even though it's against a great team, as I said, it is tough to start off the year 0-1 because now the pressure is on you to really get things turned around quickly. Jaden Daniels, the quarterback for LSU, had 346 passing yards and a touchdown with an interception, also adding in 64 yards on the ground. I said in the episode last week that I wasn't really that confident in him this year, and I think last week validated it for me. I don't see him being the guy that gets them to the college football playoff. I'm not really as confident in him this year as most people were heading into this season. But we'll see. It's only one week. Maybe he gets himself back on track. But just one touchdown and an interception last week, that's obviously tough. The yards were there, passing and rushing-wise, but you need to get more touchdown scores. Wide receiver Brian Thomas Jr. was his top receiver on the night. Seven catches and 142 yards and a touchdown. LSU now plays Grambling State. We'll probably get themselves back on track with a big win there. And then Florida State will play Southern Miss. So two easier games for these two teams. I expected a four-touchdown game from Travis this week. And I expect Florida State to roll in this game against Southern Miss. I think Florida State's a wagon. And I think they should be taken seriously as a potential national champion. They're very talented on both sides of the ball. And have a great quarterback in Jordan Travis with Jared Verse on defense. Two of the best players in the country at offense and defense, respectively. So this team could definitely make a run. Next up, we're going to talk about Oregon State, the number 18 team in the country who traveled to San Jose State and got a big win on the road, winning that game 42-17 to over the Spartans. San Jose State did stick around for a few. It was a 7-3 game at one point in the second quarter. But DJ Uyangalele had two big touchdowns for Oregon State right before halftime, making it a 21-3 game at the break. And then things just got away there for San Jose State, unfortunately. But they fought hard. Regardless of the outcome, I was proud yet again of the fight that San Jose State brings in every game. This team does have talent, and they have the dog mentality to always put up a fight in every single game. You can never really count them out. And even though it was a tough game, they still fought hard. Just two touchdowns on offense. But Oregon State's defense is pretty good. So it's going to be hard to score against them and a lot harder to score against them than it was against USC in week zero of the college football season. Shevin Cordero, the quarterback for San Jose State, was 18-32 passing with 152 passing yards, also adding in seven carries to 26 yards. He didn't have a touchdown on the night, unfortunately. The only passing touchdown in this game for the Spartans came from backups, and that was backup quarterback Jay Butterfield throwing to Brandon Alvarez with four seconds to go for a touchdown score. And even though they were down... They still found a way to score a touchdown at the end and compete until the last whistle. And that's what I like about this team. They don't really quit. 
in DJ's debut as a starting quarterback for Oregon State. He was 25-25 passing for 239 passing yards, three passing touchdowns, also added two rushing touchdowns as well. Five total touchdowns in that game. So obviously a bright game to start his career there for Oregon State. And one thing about DJ that I want to mention that I think I mentioned last week is that I think he has the talent to be a good quarterback, maybe not to be a college football playoff quarterback or a Heisman winner or an NFL quarterback, but he definitely has the talent to compete at the college level and put up some good numbers. But the issue is this. Clemson's standards are so high because of the quarterbacks they had in the past, like Deshaun Watson and like Trevor Lawrence, that it was so hard for DJ to live up to those expectations there. And now going to Oregon State, he can play a lot more freely and just be comfortable. And that's what he looked like last week in that game against San Jose State. I think San Jose State will be okay, though. They are 0-2. But it's tough to go up against two top 25 teams to start your season. It's tough to go up against USC and Oregon State to begin your year. But I think they'll get themselves back on track. They now host Cal Poly tomorrow, and I expect Chevin Cordero to have three touchdowns in San Jose State to win this game by at least two scores. I expect them to win, let's say, 41-27, 41-24. That's my prediction right there. San Jose State gets themselves back on track and gets their first win of the season. So now I'm going to talk about Penn State, who had a big win last week over West Virginia, winning that game 38-15 in their season opener. Penn State was a team that I was a big fan of before the season began. I had them making the college football playoff and actually losing in the national championship. And after watching some of the highlights from last week's game against West Virginia, I like them even more. They are loaded on both sides of the ball. Offense and defense, they have talent on both sides. And in this game, it was a close one at one point. It was a 14-7 game at halftime with Penn State leading. And then they erupted in the second half for 24 points. West Virginia only had 8 points in the second half. Penn State had 478 yards in offense to West Virginia's 308. So they dominated yards-wise. So that means the defense and offense both had good days, as you can tell by the score, 38-15. to Quarterback Drew Allen had a very good game, 21-29 of 29 passing with 325 passing yards and three touchdowns. Looked very comfortable in the pocket and had so much poise. I think he could be a guy that's going to surprise a lot of people this year. He makes a lot of his throws look effortless, and I think he's going to be a big reason Penn State makes the college football playoff this year if they do indeed make it there. He found Keandre Lambert-Smith, who ended up being his favorite target on the day, for two touchdown catches. Lambert Smith finished the day with four catches for 123 yards and two touchdowns. As for West Virginia, their offense relied heavily on running back C.J. Donaldson, who once had the best game overall for them, 18 carries, 81 yards, and a touchdown on the ground. Quarterback Garrett Green did add in 162 passing yards, didn't have a touchdown, though, unfortunately passing, but was effective on the ground using his legs. 15 carries for 71 yards and a touchdown. Even though it was a tough game for West Virginia, Penn State is one of the best teams in the country. So at the end of the day, being in it at halftime 14-7 to can be more of a victory than they could take in to next week. As to Penn State, their defensive leader was Curtis Jacobs, who led them in tackles with 10. He also added in a sack in attack for a loss. Penn State now has Delaware tomorrow. I think it's going to be another big win for them. It should be at least. I expect three to four scores for him, Drew Aller, and I expect them to win by, let's say, four touchdowns. So another game I want to mention is Alabama and their big win over Middle Tennessee State last week. Wasn't really too much of a surprise. Alabama, everyone expected to win this game. But I was surprised with how well Jalen Milrow played. The starting quarterback for Alabama had a 21-yard touchdown score to begin the scoring. And then at that point, Alabama just really erupted for points and really just took over. 28 to nothing was the score at halftime. And probably because they just have too much firepower for Middle Tennessee State to handle, which is obviously understandable. But Milrow really shined in this game. 13 of 18 passing for 194 passing yards, three passing touchdowns, also adding in seven carries for 48 yards and two touchdowns on the ground. 
That's a very hot start to the year for him. I didn't have him as a Heisman candidate last week, but if he can use his legs that effectively all season, he's going to be a dark horse to watch out for to win it. And it's going to be tougher, obviously, when you go up against SEC teams and is against Middle Tennessee State, but he showed a lot of promise there in that game. Isaiah Bond was Alabama's top receiver, five catches for 76 yards and a touchdown. As to Middle Tennessee State, they did struggle to put up points, but I've seen worse stat lines for small school quarterbacks versus Alabama. Their starting quarterback, Nicholas Vadiato, went 21 of 32 passing for 127 yards, a touchdown, and a pick. So even though they only could get seven points to show for it, getting a passing touchdown, getting some progress going to next week, that's at least something. You know, at least, okay, we scored a touchdown versus Bama. I'm not saying that's huge. Obviously, you still lose by 39 points. It's not like that touchdown's a big difference maker in the game. But I'm saying it could give you some confidence on offense, saying, okay, we had one good drive. Let's build off of that. Let's see what we did right in that drive and get ourselves back on track for next week. As Alabama, now they host the number 11 team in the country, Texas, this week. That's a big match there. I have Alabama winning this one, 36-30. I expect Mill Road to make some electric plays in this game. Texas is coming off a 37-10 win over Rice last week, where quarterback Quinn Ewers went 16-30 passing for 260 passing yards, three passing touchdowns, and a rushing touchdown. So four total touchdowns in the game there for Ewers. But I think Alabama's going to win this game. I think it'll be a fun one to watch. But I think Alabama is the better team. I'm going to take Alabama winning this one, 36-30, with three touchdown scores from Milrow. Another game I want to mention is the UMaine Black Bears losing a close game to Florida International, 14-12 last week. Very close battle there between those two schools. Maine actually outgained Florida International in this game, 378-305, to so they moved the ball very well. The issue was, though, Maine really couldn't get enough scores out of it. Obviously, only 12 points in the game. They had just six points in the second half, which actually came from a five-yard rushing touchdown by Maine running back Tristan Keenan. That was actually the only score in the second half. So a very low-scoring game in the second half. Maine did move the ball well, though. Keenan was a big reason why. 26 carries, 120 yards, and a touchdown. He was consistent all game. Maine's new quarterback with Joe Fagnano transferring to UConn. Now they have a new quarterback, and that is quarterback Derek Robertson, who is 20 of 40 passing in this game with 198 passing yards. Maine is still a team that plays hot in fights. Even though they lost this game, I'm impressed, though, with their fight. Only lose this game by two points. They're underdogs, and they found a way to travel on the road to Florida International and still be in it. FIU's quarterback was Keon Jenkins, who had 296 passing yards, two passing touchdowns, and a pick. His main target on the night was wide receiver Chris Mitchell, who had a monster game, nine catches for 201 yards and two touchdowns. Maine now travels to North Dakota State for a big game tomorrow at 3.30 p.m. on the road. That's a difficult team to face, especially on the road. We'll see what Maine can do in this game, but I expect a fight out of them. They were able to move the ball against an FBS team last week at Florida International. Now they're playing an FCS powerhouse in North Dakota State. We'll see how they do. They've been able to move the ball against bigger schools than they are over the past few years. Like against BC, they were able to move the ball. We'll see what they do tomorrow versus North Dakota State, but you can never count that team out. Another local team lost a game last week, and that was UMass getting demolished by Auburn, 59-14. It was kind of expected, though. I don't think anybody saw them going down to Auburn and winning that game. Auburn was actually close, though, in this one. It was 10-7 Auburn after the first quarter, but after that, Going into the second quarter, that's when the Tigers' offense really just erupted. 21 points in the second quarter, 21 points in the third quarter for Auburn. So 42 points between the second and third quarters. UMass's offense did have 301 yards total in the game, which is impressive. As for Auburn, they had 492 yards of offense in this game. And what I noted in the preview last week was that I thought it would be tough for UMass to stop Auburn's weapons and all the speed that they bring to the game. And that was the case. Quarterback Robbie Ashford for Auburn. Only had to throw six passes with only a few completions 
for three passing yards. It's all we had to do in the first half for them to get the win. They ended up beating UMass really on the ground in this game, especially with Ashton running for three touchdowns. He had nine carries at 51 yards and three touchdowns on the night. All three of those touchdowns coming in the second quarter. As for UMass, Tyson Pumachon, their starting quarterback, had just 55 passing yards with an interception and eight carries for 34 yards and a touchdown on the ground. Running back K-Ron Adams Lynch did have another good game. He was dangerous on the ground yet again for this UMass offense. 14 carries for 101 yards. UMass now hosts a MAC opponent, and that is Miami, Ohio, tomorrow at 3.30 p.m. at UMass in Amherst, Massachusetts. Miami, Ohio lost last week 38-3 to the University of Miami. They were actually close in the game at halftime. It was 16-3 at halftime in that game. But then Speed took over in the second half, and the U-Miami team really just took over that game, winning it 38-3. Miami, Ohio, though, is a team that could win the MAC. So I think this game will be a close game tomorrow. I think Miami, Ohio is the better team. I have them winning this game 31-27 with Miami, Ohio's quarterback, Brett Gabbert, throwing for two touchdown passes in this match. Next up is Louisville. They ended up having a big win over Georgia Tech last week, winning that game 39-34. Georgia Tech was up in this one 28-13 at halftime, scoring all 28 of their points in the first half, all in the second quarter. So the 28 points they scored in the first half, it all came in the second quarter. They're up 28-13 going into the break. Georgia Tech running back Travion Cooley had two rushing touchdowns in the second quarter. He was tough for Louisville to stop in this one. Actually, former Louisville running back as well, which obviously is an interesting thing there going up against his former team. He took over the game at that point in the second quarter, but then Louisville battled and chipped away in the second half and found a way to win that game 39-34. Louisville scored 10 points in the third quarter and 16 points in the fourth quarter, finding a way to win. Wide receiver Jamari Thrash was huge for the Connors offense. He had two touchdown receptions in this game. Both touchdown passes coming from Jack Plummer. Thrash finished the game with seven catches for 88 yards and two touchdowns. He could be a very dangerous playmaker for this Louisville team this season. He's a guy to keep your eye on. Plummer, in his Louisville debut last week, had 247 passing yards, three passing touchdowns, and an interception. Looked very good and sharp, especially in the second half. So that's obviously a good thing for Louisville's offense. Georgia Tech's quarterback was Haynes King, who had 313 passing yards, three passing touchdowns, and a pick in this game. So obviously in that game, Louisville's offense got hot and found a way to win. And then last night, they played again, this time defeating Lafayette 56-0. Thrash was huge in this game. Three catches for 82 yards and a touchdown, also adding in a 12-yard touchdown rush as well. Plummer had 247 passing yards, a touchdown, and two interceptions in this game. He did struggle, but they found a way to put up 690 yards of offense against Murray State. Obviously, Louisville's speed is superior, so that's the difference there in that game over Murray State last night. But Louisville is rolling 2-0 to start the season. As I said, are a dangerous team to watch out for in the ACC. I don't think they're going to be in the ACC championship, but I think they'll be right below that, maybe 8-4, and 7-5 on the year. I'd say 8-4, and four, honestly. The next game I'm going to talk about is Toledo's loss to Illinois. A very close game, 30-28, to 28, losing to Illinois last weekend. Toledo was actually leading by one with three minutes to go, but Illinois ended up kicking a game-winning field goal, 29-yard field goal off the leg of Caleb Griffin to win the game with five seconds to go. A positive for this game, though, is that Toledo's offense was very sharp. And even though Illinois is not the best Big Ten school, it's still hard to start your season on the road against a Big Ten opponent. But a positive here, as I said, is Toledo's offense was good. And I think they have enough on offense to win the MAC, even with this loss. They outgained Illinois in this game 416 to 374. Quarterback Daquan Finn had a big game offensively 230 passing yards, two passing touchdowns, and an interception. On the ground, 20 carries with 75 yards and a touchdown. Very dangerous with his legs, which makes him dynamic. And they still have wide receiver Jerwan Newton, who was their top receiver last year. He added in five catches of 51 yards and a touchdown in last week's game. He's an absolute baller. 
Toledo did have a hard time on defense, stopping Illinois wide receiver Pat Bryant, who had six catches with 59 yards and two touchdowns. And even though it's a tough loss for Toledo, they battled. They were right there. Now they play Texas Southern at home, and I'm expecting four to five touchdowns from Daquan Finn in this game with maybe two scores to Jawan Newton. I want at least four touchdowns from Finn in tomorrow's game. Get themselves back on track with a big win. So now the rest of the games I'm going to mention, they all include ranked opponents. I'm going to start off with the number 12 team in the country from last week, Tennessee, who got a big win, 49-13 to over Virginia. Tennessee looks like a wagon. They had 499 yards of offense in this game and scored seven of seven times in the red zone with seven touchdowns. Seven touchdowns. They got to the red zone seven times and scored seven touchdowns. Quarterback Joe Milton shined in this one. A guy that I took as a long shot, as a Heisman winner, was 21 of 30 passing with 201 yards, two touchdowns passing, adding in 33 rushing yards and two touchdowns on the ground. So four total touchdowns in this game. Tennessee now moves on to play Austin P at home tomorrow at 5 p.m. Expect another blowout win with four scores from Joe Milton in this game. That offense is going to be lethal if Joe Milton can do what he did last week. And I know Virginia's going to struggle this year, so it's not like he did it versus a big opponent. But being able to be that efficient, scoring seven times in the red zone with seven touchdowns, that's pretty impressive. So Tennessee is going to be a team to watch out for this year. Another big blowout win was Oregon, the number 15 team in the country last week. Exploded for 81 points over Portland State. 81-7 to winning that game. 750 yards of offense for Oregon to Portland State's 200. No one really expected this to be a game anyways, but it's still impressive to have 750 yards of offense. Bo Nix was 23 of 27 passing for 287 passing yards and three touchdowns. It's hard to have a better stat line than that considering the fact that he didn't really play the whole game. He didn't have to. So 23 of 27, 300 yards, almost three touchdowns. Pretty efficient day there for Bo Nix. Portland State kept it slightly close at first, scoring on their second drive, driving 75 yards down the field on nine plays with a nine-yard touchdown pass from their quarterback, Dante Sachere, to Chance Miller, a wide receiver. So they kept it kind of close, scoring on their second drive. Then after that, it was just a blowout. Oregon now travels to Texas Tech who just lost last week 35-33 in an overtime game to Wyoming. Next up, number three, Ohio State, who got a win over Indiana 23-3, but they didn't look great in this game. It was a 10-3 game at halftime, which was a shock to the college football world. I said last week I didn't believe in Ohio State making it to the college football playoff, which you can't really overreact to a week one game here for Ohio State or even Clemson or even LSU. It's all just week one. You're going to probably look better, I'd imagine, in week two. But neither offense, Clemson or Ohio State, looks great. And LSU had their issues as well in that game against Florida State. But Ohio State, they didn't look good in this game. This was a game they won 23-3, but they didn't look great in offense. I had Ohio State at 12 in my end-of-the-year predictions. When I did my predictions last week, I predicted they'd be a 12th at the end of the season and missing a New Year's 6 game. And after this game last week, if their offense doesn't figure it out, that's going to be a worry. Ohio State's defense is still good. They held Indiana to 153 yards in this game. But the problem is Ohio State's offense. They have to put up more points on the board. Just 23 points versus Indiana is honestly disappointing. Quarterback Kyle McCord at 239 passing yards, no touchdowns in a pick. And then wide receiver Marvin Harrison Jr. had an underwhelming stat line, two catches for 18 yards. They need to find a way to get him the ball. Indiana struggled passing the ball in this game, just 56 passing yards for Brendan Sorsby, who was their backup quarterback and led them in passing in that game. Now Ohio State plays Youngtown State, which is the perfect game for them to get back on track. Get the offense warm and energized and get some confidence back and get some chemistry between Marvin Harrison Jr. and Kyle McCord. That's the goal in tomorrow's game. 
put up 50 points on offense and find a way to get McCord some chemistry with Marvin Harrison Jr. Let the offense flow and see what they could do in tomorrow's game. They should win that rather easy. The next game I'm going to mention is between Washington and Boise State. And in this game, Michael Penix, the quarterback for Washington, shined heavily in this game. 56-19, Washington won that match. And it really took until the second quarter for Penix to get hot. Washington's offense was cold at first. But they broke things open with 28 points in the second quarter after trailing 6 to nothing after the first quarter. They were down 6 nothing going into the second quarter. And then they erupted for four touchdowns in the second quarter. Got themselves back on track. Washington finished the game with 568 yards on offense. And Boise State finished with 402. A lot of it coming in the first half. Michael Penix was 29 of 40 passing with a 73% completion percentage, 450 passing yards, and five passing touchdowns. Mike Heisman winner started off the year on a perfect note. There's no better way to start this season for Michael Penix. Wide receiver Romo Dunes was great in this game, who I see as a top 20 pick in the 2024 NFL Draft. He had seven catches for 132 yards and a touchdown. And then wide receiver Jalen McMillan for Washington added in a 19-yard touchdown carry, eight receptions, 95 receiving yards, and two touchdown receptions. So three touchdowns in the game for McMillan. Such a lethal offense there. And obviously, they're going to put up a lot of points this year with Michael Penix as the quarterback. As for Boise State, they moved the ball well in this game. Even scored at the start of the second half to make it a 28-19 game after a 50-yard touchdown pass from their quarterback, Taywin Green. But Washington took over the game after that and took care of business in the second half after that moment. Washington now plays Tulsa this week, and I expect them to win this game, let's say 48-10, 48-14, with five touchdowns from Michael Penix and two touchdown connections between Penix and O'Dunes. I think that connection is going to be lethal this season. Next up is Georgia, number one team in the country, with a 48-7 win over Tennessee Martin. They outgained Tennessee Martin 559-260 in this game. They were up 17-0 at half and then really broke things open in the second half. Quarterback Carson Beck made his debut as a starter, 21-31 passing for 294 yards, a passing touchdown, and a rushing touchdown. Now they go on and face Ball State. I think Georgia's going to be really good this year, but one of my biggest hot takes before the season last week when I recorded was that Georgia would miss the college football playoff. And I still stand by that. I still think they missed the college football playoff because I don't believe Beck can do what Stetson Bennett did for them last season. As for Tennessee Martin, their quarterback, Kincaid Dent, is a transfer from Ole Miss who played well in this game. 128 passing yards and a touchdown with six carries of 47 yards on the ground. You look at that stat line and see it's not really a great game, but considering he's going up against the best defense in the country in Georgia, it's hard to go up against that defense and have crazy numbers. That's a good stat line for a quarterback from a small school against Georgia especially when you play for Tennessee Mott in a small school, heavy underdog. To not throw a pick in that game, throw over 120 yards on a touchdown, and with six carries of 47 yards, you'll take that. Next up is the number six team in the country, USC, running up the score on Nevada last week, 66-14. Not much of a surprise here, but USC's offense continues to stay lethal. Two games now, and they're putting up heavy points in both of those games. Not really shocking, considering they're going up against Nevada, and obviously San Jose State, who I thought would give them a game. That was my prediction. I thought San Jose State would be more in that game from week zero. But against Nevada, I figured USC would win this game rather big. And Caleb Williams shines yet again. Five passing touchdowns with 319 passing yards and three carries of 42 yards on the ground. Wide receiver Zachariah Branch for USC added in another touchdown reception, this time for 22 yards. Nevada was still able to relatively move the ball, though. One thing here is that Nevada wasn't going to be able to keep up with USC's offense, but I thought they could move the ball a little bit on USC's defense. And they kind of did that. 360 yards on offense for Nevada, led by running back Sean Dollars, who had nine carries for 33 yards and a touchdown. Also added in three catches for 35 yards in the game. The USC defense is an issue, and I think that's what needs to improve with this team. 
Their offense is unreal. 668 yards of offense last week. You can't ask them to do any more. But when you get to some bigger games towards the end of the year, especially in Pac-12 games, and when you look at their schedule, they have to play Colorado at Notre Dame, home versus Utah, home versus Washington, and at Oregon. They have a lot of tough games there. So they have to figure out a way to play better defense. That was their problem last year, and we'll see if that's going to be their problem again this year. USC now faces Stanford this week and are heavy favorites. Stanford actually won their game last week over Hawaii, 37-24. But I think USC wins this game. I'm going to go 45-24 USC. And now the last game I'm going to mention is UNC versus South Carolina. North Carolina versus South Carolina. The number 21 team in the country, UNC, picked up the win last week over South Carolina in this game, 31-17. UNC's offense put up 437 yards and scored 31 points despite two turnovers from Drake May their starting quarterback. He finished the game 24-32 passing for just about 270 passing yards, two passing touchdowns, and two picks. South Carolina quarterback Spencer Rattler was 30-39 of passing for 353 yards, no touchdowns, and no interceptions. His favorite target on the day was Xavier Leggett, and I apologize if I'm pronouncing that wrong, but Leggett was his favorite receiver on the day. Nine catches for 178 yards. South Carolina's two touchdowns came on the ground, both rushing touchdowns. So you need more from Spencer Rattler. You need a passing touchdown. You need a couple passing touchdowns from him to stay in this game. And you didn't get that. They were led, though, by their running backs with two rushing touchdowns. But they only scored just three points in the second half, South Carolina. Just three points in the second half. It was a 17-14 game at half with UNC leading after a 34-yard touchdown pass from Drake May. And then USC comes out in the second half and only scores three points. So South Carolina has to be better in the second half. I thought UNC would win this game by at least a touchdown, they end up winning it by two touchdowns. And now they will face Appalachian State in their home opener this week. Appalachian State started out with a win last week over Gardner Webb, winning that game 45 to 24. I think UNC wins this game. I'm going to go 41 to 24. 41 24 with Drake May throwing for four touchdowns. One news story I want to mention with UNC before I close is that they will not have Kent State transfer wide receiver Devontae Walker for this season. He's ineligible according to the NCAA. They denied his request to get eligibility, and that's obviously a tough break, and it's unfortunate for UNC because it seems like everybody that wants to transfer is able to play right away and gets eligibility, but I guess that's not the case for Devontae Walker. It seems like it's different for him for some reason, which that's a problem. It seems like everybody can transfer nowadays and get eligibility right away, and then there's a handful of stories you hear of guys that don't get eligibility granted to them. And Devontae Walker is another example. So that's obviously tough there. And that's a big loss for UNC. But I still think they're going to have a good year. And Drake May, he's found ways to put up points even without Devontae Walker. Obviously last year not having Walker, he was still at Kent State. And now in this game, putting up 31 points and two passing touchdowns without him. But I thought Devontae Walker would be a great add to that offense. So it's tough to not see him in the lineup for them as a starting receiver. So now to close the episode... I'm going to look at my college football playoff picks from last week, and they're looking pretty strong. I had Alabama at one, Penn State at two, Florida State at three, and Washington at four. And I'd stay with that right now. All four of those teams had big wins this week. Washington in a blowout, Florida State in a blowout, Penn State in a blowout, Alabama in a blowout. All four look good this week, and you can't overreact to week one. There are teams that are going to lose in week one that will still be good teams over the course of the season. Naturally, there's 11 games left in the regular season for a lot of teams, so they have time to make up ground and get themselves back on track. But I'm going to stay with those four picks for the college football playoff. Alabama, Penn State, Florida State, Washington. Those are my four teams, and I'd stay with that yet again. Anyways, that will conclude this episode. Thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen to this. As always, I appreciate it. I hope you guys have a good one. Enjoy your weekend, and I will see you guys in the next episode. Thank you.